0: This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com.
1: Strangers and Aliens, episode 110, Dystopian Fiction, featuring Mikey Fizzle from Real World Theology Podcast. Welcome to the
2: Strangers and Aliens
0: Podcast.
1: Strangers. <laughs> to boldly say what needs to be said. Would you be a
2: stranger or an alien? Or would you be a strange alien?
0: The you- truth is out there. I am your father's best friend, oh. Superman.
1: Wonder Woman.
2: Card versus vs. Captain Kirk. Do you think that there's room in sci-fi for God? The very first thing that God did so why is he was that he created something, so we have a creative God. This is Strangers and Aliens
1: Podcast. Hello and welcome to Strangers and Aliens Podcast. I'm Ben Avery, and I'm here with two co-hosts, just like normal, uh, except one of my co-hosts is not normal, and the other one is a guest. So,
0: (laughs) I was wondering where that was going to (laughs) go. Wait, which one am
1: I then? So Dr. Jace is not here today. Um, He has a lot of things going on with Red Church, and they have an anniversary coming up, when your anniversary, and uh, we're very, very pleased to hear about that. Unfortunately, that means he's not recording with us tonight. We do have someone else with us, but first, uh, Steve, go ahead and introduce yourself.
2: I'm Steve McDonald.
1: Yep, and he's normally with us, and he's also the abnormal uh, host. And then we have Michael Fizzle. Did I say that right?
0: Close enough.
1: Okay, Mikey Fizz, known as Fizz right. on. See,
0: actually, that's what people say. They say Mikey Fizz, yeah. and so it just sticks as Fizz. Here we go. I, it just you have to be in context. It looks weird on paper, but I, but trust me, it works in real life. No, oh, it sounds good, Fizz. Is yeah, And he is from
1: the uh, Real World Theology podcast, and this is part of the geek Christian podcasting crossover thingy that we're doing. <laughs> and Real World Theology is one of those uh, podcasts that when I was uh, talking with Matt Anderson from the Sci-Fi Christian, we were recording that episode about the actual crossover. This is one of those that you got to watch the spelling on because it's actually R-E-E-L. Ooh, as in... You know, a film reel, tricky. Yep. Which is one of those yeah. things that people used or used to use, <laughs> used to use to watch movies <laughs> on. So. Well, the,
0: the cleverness is all attributed to my wife because I, I think the hardest part to me in creating a podcast is thinking of a name that people can actually remember. And so, I think that I had the idea to do this podcast. I, I want to say for three months, maybe, the, when I was I was committed to it. You know, it wasn't just a, a fun idea that I tossed around with friends. It was I was gonna do this and for three months I could not think of a name. And I think every day it would be like a like a almost like a romantic comedy scene. I would walk into the bedroom <laughs> and I'd be like, This name and she'd be like, Nope. Like, yeah. It's so the montage. Yeah. It was so so a montage. So eventually she was just like, Well, how about this? And I was like, I guess, I guess. And then I told like two people and they're like, That's a brilliant name. Yeah. So so if you like it it's hers if if you hate it it's probably me. So.
1: But he's from the Real World Theology podcast and as you can probably guess from the name, talks about movies, talks about theology talks, and talks, talks. <laughs> and actually <laughs> as far as um the format of your show, it's it's fairly close to ours other than you have uh rotating guest hosts uh that that come in for your round tables about movies basically.
0: Yeah, I like to uh try to get people on who have I would say more specific knowledge since I don't do just sci-fi or fantasy, you know, we'll be doing dramas, comedies, uh, we'll do horror films. Hopefully at some point we'll do TV shows. And I like to have people who, uh, I think I had like a psychiatrist on when we did the walking dead to talk about <laughs> all the psychopaths on the show. You know, it, it's people who have a, a little more interest or specialization if I can get it. Or if not, I'll just get people who are just really into whatever the tel- uh, whatever the movie is. Yeah. So I hope it get, you know makes people more excited about seeing it, and uh, they don't get bored, and it keeps me, me on my toes, so I don't get lazy. <laughs> nice. Not that not that everyone would do. It's just me because I get boring when I talk too long. See, I'm already talking too long. You've not been able to talk talking like almost three minutes now. Uh, no, it's, it's only been
1: two and a half. I've been keeping track, but okay. Okay. Oh. amazingly <laughs>
0: interesting.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Taking notes. It's similar though. On my end is you know last summer I had a lot of different hosts coming in who were interested in different movies. Um, the reason was because Dr. Jason and Steve just don't go to movies during the summer. but um, I,
2: I go to some, I just didn't go to a lot of them.
1: Yeah, I think we talked about a couple, you and I. Yeah. But, yeah. So, um, we are here to talk about, well, not exactly to talk about a movie, although the a movie is what uh, kind of caused this topic to come up. Oh, wait, before we do, we should play the uh, the crossover thing. Let's do that right now. Do you guys mind? No. Okay. Go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and do it. It's your podcast.
2: Can we, so we sing that's... along with it?
1: Um, you can try. <laughs> Last year, a ragtag band of Christian geek podcasters joined together, taking on a shared theme to be discussed on their respective shows. This year, like any good sequel, and any bad sequel, really, they're going bigger. They aren't just sharing a theme. They're sharing themselves. In the grand tradition of the Avengers movies, or Aliens vs. Predator, or Mario and Sonic the Hedgehog, King Kong vs. Godzilla, Archie meets the Punisher, it's not just a thematic event, it's a crossover. The Christian Geek Podcasting Community begins the year 2014 by trading hosts. Listen to your favorite podcasting hosts as they mix it up on other podcasts, and meet new podcasters on your favorite podcasts. Featuring these podcasts: Geekly Oat, The Sci-Fi Show, Untold Podcast, The Sci-Fi Christian, Real World Theology, The Story Men, Geek This Podcast voices in my head are you just watching at strangers and aliens the christian geek podcast crossover it's the secret wars 2 of podcasting only you know good
2: Over. Yes, no, I'm
1: now I'm recording you. Still can, not doing it. I am recording for real this time. Um after a couple of uh false starts. So
2: Crossover
1: That's Steve Good. singing along. Um, so yeah, so we've brought you in, Fizz, Mikey, Mikey Fizz. Right. Uh, we have brought you in because although the topic was originally suggested by Dr. Jace to talk about Hunger Games, catching fire. Uh, He's talking about that with Eve Franklin on her podcast, and you've already done a podcast about Catching Fire. And Steve mentioned something about, well, we could talk about dystopian fiction when we talk about Catching Fire. And so I think that actually this podcast is mainly going to be talking about the the subgenre of sci-fi called dystopian fiction. As
0: long as people don't refer to this episode as dystopian after they listen to it, then I'm okay with that. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, you know, there are some possibilities here. I mean, I am in charge. I am a dictator, um, and I'm going to tell you guys what to do. I'm going to take away all your creativity, love, your religion. You can't take away my love. (laughs) Wait. You must be the protagonist of some sort of dystopian fiction. (laughs) What? (laughs) So here's the deal, though. Catching Fire, Hunger Games, it's huge, although you wouldn't know it from the theater I was in last night where I was alone in the theater. Wednesday night, late show, probably no surprise. I am sitting in that theater all by myself. I love it when I get to do that. (laughs) Sitting in this theater all by myself. Was it
0: the $1 one?
1: Theater? No, this is regular (laughs) theater.
0: Oh yeah, it's still still making truckloads of money. Yeah. Yeah. So, they're not going to take it out. Not when they can still get full price for tickets.
1: (laughs) And they did, from me. Last night. Although I do wonder if it took more power to run the, the projector than I actually got from me. But oh, Nice. Um, okay. So Catching Fire, Hunger Games, it's huge. It's enormous. And I am curious, to start off our discussion, why in the world is this book series and movie series so popular? Because I read the book before I went to see the movie. You know who I borrowed it from? I borrowed it from the mom of some of the kids that I teach in Sunday school. You know, she's not a sci-fi fan at all, but she loves the Hunger Games and she, she's opening night, midnight show of Hunger Games and Catching Fire. And so here I am, I'm thinking, okay, I know she's not the only one. Uh, This is, you know, this reminds me of Harry Potter in some ways, it reminds me of Twilight in some ways. Uh, Both of those have their own. Attractions. so i'm throwing it to you guys and we'll start with fizz because he's our guest what do you think what is it
0: man young adult fiction right now is just the thing so i mean that doesn't hurt but what i saw was books that were fairly popular i mean there's lots of book series that are fairly popular that your average movie goer or average citizen in america would probably never know about unless they got made into a film and you've seen a number of these book series get made into film. Uh, I think that like the this past year, the City of Bones tried to kind of take yeah, on that, yeah. but apparently it was awful, and no one went to see it. And <laughs> they may or may not make a second one. Uh, I, I think the the Hunger Games it, it took a story that was compelling. Uh, I think that was interesting and engaging. Maybe not the best story in the world, but what it did was it attached its wagon to, at the time, an an Academy Award nominated Jennifer Lawrence um, and a pretty solid cast on top of that. And and even though the first Hunger Games movie, I don't think was an exceptional movie, I I think it had enough star power. It had enough, you know, it wasn't bad. And I think, really, if your story is good enough, all you have to do with a movie is not make it bad. I mean and and so it catches on, and now we we end up with catching fire, which you know um, just completely blew away the first Hunger games movie and far as far as well, it's going to end up as far as money made and then you know talent direction engaging story, development, visual effects, I mean it just you know exceeded it in every way, so have, I mean have, they're making good movies. Have you read the books? I have not read the books. Okay, so I, I, I mean that's why, and that's, that was the difference because I think when I went to see the first movie, uh, like my wife and some other people were with us that had read the books, and they enjoyed the first movie a lot more than I did. I guess because they understood more of what was going on, more of the internal struggle. Um, well, but yeah, because they are
1: written they're written first person present tense. Yeah, and so. you know it's all from Katniss's perspective. I'll say this though, I think that these two movies f- exceed. The books, the, the, these are one of those rare exceptions where the movies are better than the books. I really, really, I was amazed, especially the second one. The second book was good, but the second movie is leaps and bounds above that. It's almost like the books acted as like the first draft. And instead of, you know, going in and trying to, you know, change everything, you know, so it works, works on film. It was actually, they went in and they were just like, okay, how do we massage this? And make these these changes that there are things that they had to do some, there were some plot gymnastics they had to do, be, or that she had to do, that Susan Collins had to do because she's following one character's inner voice, mm-hmm. and she she couldn't like show the president the way they do in the movies, and you know for her to find out what was going on in the other districts, they had to do some weird things. I was like, well, oh, that that doesn't make any sense they're creating a new character for her to be a friend with kind of thing um just so that she can you know see a screen so she can see what's going on another it just didn't really work for me and then i'm watching the movie i'm like actually this is much more streamlined it's much more logical you take away some of these things and um it was nice i i was surprised i was very surprised so steve have you seen the movies or read any of the I books i haven't no okay oh.
2: So this is, I don't, I don't mind if they're spoiled for me though. Okay.
1: Well, we're not going to spoil too much because this isn't about those things. Um, I just find it interesting. It just puzzles me because especially with the last movie, but even with this one, I get the vibe of like 70s sci-fi from these movies and, you know, the costuming and the, you know, the effects obviously are far away, (laughs) you know, you're not going to see those effects in the seventies, but, um. I feel like I'm watching a classic sci-fi movie or not, maybe not even a classic sci-fi movie, but something like silent running or Logan's run or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, and people are going to it in droves, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting to me that it's so popular.
0: Well, I think, I think they're doing a lot of things, right? I mean, the first one grounded us. The second one, when I left the theater after catching fire, I had the same feeling. I usually have, when I when I finish watching The Empire Strikes Back, like everything is cruddy, everything is going <laughs> to crap, you know. Like there's just there's not a lot right going for our protagonists, but there's this glimmer of hope, and it completely sets you up for the third act. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not too much to be uh, a made up kind of. I I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. A, a really let down of a cliffhanger, you know, like that, that really gimmicky kind of cliffhanger. Like, come see the next one. But
1: <laughs> which we might be getting soon because. It, it, yeah. It, which this we
0: might get after the end of the third, yeah, first third movie.
1: Because your your uh, your scenario has Return of the Jedi getting broken down into two movies.
0: Exactly. Which <laughs> I mean, I'm not looking forward to. But then again, I haven't read the book. So
1: I, and I haven't read the third book either. So I don't know where they're going. Um, definitely when I, after reading the book, cause here's the other thing with reading the book, I felt like it was all sequel, you know, it's the same as the first one, only bigger, you know, only more intense, you know, and, and then, oh, they're, they're back in, they're back in the games. She has to fight again. How are they both going to get out? You know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and how, how can they repeat what they did last time? And then it's totally has that nice twist at the end. Where you're just, oh, this is good. And and it makes sense. And it's, you know, yes, it's repetitious, but it's repetitious with a purpose. Because you have characters making choices behind the scenes. It's it's very, I I liked what I was seeing. Um, When I finally realized, okay, it's not just repeating everything. Because it worked the first time. And- yeah, it's
0: a, It's definitely not like a comedy. It's not more of the same jokes, you know. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not Austin Powers two or right. more of the
1: <laughs> same <laughs> jokes, only a little bit louder.
0: Yeah, a little yeah. bit louder, a little slightly different, yeah. you know. But you can see them coming a mile away. It's like, well, they did do a lot of the same things, but they did it for different reasons. Right. You know,
1: second verse same as the first, a little bit louder, a little bit worse. That's so. <laughs> it. Um. So the main topic we're going to talk about here is kind of springboarding from, uh. Catching Fire, and that is dystopian fiction, which Catching Fire is a part of that subgenre of sci-fi. And I thought the first thing we could do is kind of define dystopian fiction. What is it? um, What is it to you guys? Uh, Is there anything that you would say, you know, some people call this dystopian fiction, but I don't think it is, and maybe talk about why, but what is dystopian fiction? And I've got my answer, but I wanted to throw it to you guys first before I... You know, just take that. So well, I went first
0: last time, so Steve's got to go first this time. You're in, Steve. Go.
2: Oh, great! Uh, dystopian fiction is a, a, a type of fiction where uh, there's a topia, but it's a uh, dist. So,
1: <laughs> yes. it's like show's yeah. over. Yo, Show. Topia, your mama's so fat. <laughs>
2: nice. Well, dystopian fiction is a, a reversal of utopian fiction, which, um, if you think about it, it's it's very similar. Utopian fiction is. Sort of the unattainable, perfect city the um, the everything works right city it's laid out perfectly, everything you know there's no waste uh, all you know hundred percent recycling all that stuff um, dystopian fiction sort of takes that, but does the same thing as like a a commune and a communist uh setting. If you have a commune, everyone works together and it it exists well together. If you have a communist setting, you have that commune, but you have sort of one person calling the shots or, you know, a small group of people and they're actually pulling away from the commune. So the commune is getting worse and worse and worse while these this little group of people is getting better and better and better. That's why communism isn't good, kids. So anyway, <laughs> dystopian fiction is sort of a utopia but only in some people's minds. In, um, uh, some people might think of it, a dystopia as just everything going wrong, chaos and anarchy, but if that's part of it, there's a, a controlling part of that, where there's someone at the top or a group of people at the top who are controlling it, and for whatever reason, that's what they want. And most of the fiction you get out of this is people living in that lower group the group that's getting taken away from, and you're seeing it from their point of view. You're seeing the the utopia that they think they're living in breaking down, and then of course they have to go on and and uh, be a be a hero.
0: Anything to add to that, Fizz? Well, well, I was going to say I think the that works uh, really well, better than anything I was going to say. And so the only thing that I would add is the. The ironic thing to me when we talk about dystopian fiction is that the opposite, like Steve said, would be utopias. But if you really think about it, at like a utopia, if anyone actually made one based on just the human condition, a utopian future is probably the real science fiction. <laughs> yeah. I, I, oh, mean, yeah. Sad, I, mean- I mean, as sad as it is, because like when, when, when Steve's describing what a utopia would be, I'm thinking Starfleet. You know, like Starfleet Academy or something like that. And -hmm. as much as I want that to be real, that is just it's too perfect. There's no way that, you know, human beings will ever get rid of greed and pride, you know? Yeah, and I think
1: what you find there is when you have a utopia in fiction, um, usually it turns out, you know, the characters are going to find out it actually is a dystopia. There actually is, you know, the seedy underbelly. I think of uh, Metropolis, which is probably my oldest example of a dystopian thing mm-hmm. that I've actually experienced and seen. But the whole idea with Metropolis is one of those. It's one of the first sci-fi things to use the the up above and down below, you know, and you mm-hmm. have the the worker class down below, and then up above you have perfection and you have beauty, but it's all built on that underside, and right. a big part of it comes from the character from the utopia. You know, meeting a character from the, the dystopia below and finding out my utopia is not perfect because of what's, what's beneath it.
0: And so, yeah. yeah, your
1: your utopia that you're talking about is, you know, Star Trek Next Generation. That's a perfect example
0: mm-hmm.
1: of a perfect society that's just that probably the most unrealistic thing about, about Star Trek Next Generation is the society itself that it takes place in. <laughs> All right. Um,
0: well, and I, and I wish they would have done more episodes on how imperfect Starfleet was. And, and I think they hit on it occasionally. And, and actually, when I think back to this year, the way that J.J. Uh, J. Abrams has redone the Star Trek universe, um, I think Star Trek Into Darkness almost becomes a dystopian uh, film. A little uh, this, bit, yeah. I mean, but basically, by the way we're defining it, you know, it's a utopia, but people realize that to keep this utopia, it's really kind of this dystopian future. Uh, Because the thing about dystopian uh, societies is that they're subjective, just like you're saying. Depending on your point of view, uh, you know, a proposed future might be to one person's liking while others fear it at the core of their being. Mm -hmm. You know, if if there is some future that was pictured where we were all living like the early church and just, you know, sharing everything we had in some kind of magical voluntary socialism kind of way, you know, and everything was just all perfect. I'm sure there are lots of people out there who would just hate the thought of sharing and, you know, doing for others before they did for themselves and, and you know, because of human nature. So mm-hmm. I, no matter, no matter how, 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 well, we can describe a utopia it 's always going to be awful to somebody
1: yeah yeah, that kind of sets us off it? into the next point here is kind of the themes of of a dystopian fiction that you find in that and and one of those being you know this is kind of the uh it's the logical not the maybe not the logical conclusion, but the extreme conclusion uh that you take from where are we headed, and you know you're looking at human nature. Where is human nature going to take us when you take into account, you know, this element? You know, with Hunger Games, when you take into account that there's been some sort of terrible war, now you have this Pan Am or whatever, they need to rebuild. Well, how are they going to rebuild? Well, they need they need someone to mine. They need people to, you know, grow food and all that kind of thing. Well, what's the worst possible way that things could go? And if you uh, with Hunger Games, it pretty much gets... Goes to the worst possible place you could go, where it's, yeah. um, you know, basically it's slave labor in a lot of ways, and and gladiatorial combat and everything like that, um, and so that's one theme though is just you know this is human nature multiplied. You know, current events really inform uh, dystopian fiction from you know the time period, and so like nineteen eighty four. Uh, which was written, you know, before 1984, <laughs> but um, you know he's taking into account a lot of the things coming out of World War II, mm-hmm. and and where where are things going to go? And mm-hmm. you know, with sci-fi, it's all about what's coming. You know, with with science fiction, um, good science fiction anyway. You know, they're they're looking at where we are right now and where are we going? And dystopian fiction doesn't necessarily use the science part, especially, you know, like post apocalyptic type of things, Thunder the Barbarian or whatever. Um,
0: <laughs> Mad Max.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, there may not be a lot of science in that, but it is about, you know, projecting the future. So uh, let's talk about what are, what are some other themes that you see um, when you in in dystopian fiction and, and in this particular subgenre.
0: Steve. Steve. <laughs>
2: Themes. Well, um, I think one of the one of the themes, and you see this in Hunger Games, you see it in uh, Running Man, um, you see it in um, uh, Logan's Run. Um, it's entertainment for the purpose of uh, killing, or well, it's 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 death as entertainment. Um, it's bread and, bread and circuses. Bread and circuses, but but the roman you know, empire <laughs> yeah but in in different ways too like in, in logan's run you have carnival where you know they think they're they're going to you know the the next level or whatever and of course you know they they they're being killed um uh in uh, hunger games it's in in the the running man it's it's this arena or you know a huge sprawling arena in in both cases but it's it's you know the game and that's that's what it's what it's about and of course the game has killing and murder and you know all this horrible terrible stuff you know you think about it it's it's kids teenagers killing each other i mean how horrible is that um and you know here are people dying to watch it you know wanting to see the next you know the next episode and stuff like that so
1: although i'll say one of the things that i went into hunger games expecting was the people to be you know really into the games and really Mm -hmm. into the violence of the games. And I was surprised to see there's some of that, but a lot of it is just terror. And the reason they're using the games, you know, is to keep everyone in line and to keep reminding people, we are in charge. We are the boss. We are more powerful than you. And so we are going to require this of you. And they turn it into a big entertainment. They turn it into a big fiasco, but it really is to keep people in line. Or at least that's so a, thought, a part of it.
0: Well, I thought that and I might like I said they may have expressed this in the books more, but what I picked up from watching the Hunger Games movies is that the games part part of the reason they exist in the first place is because it gives the the districts hope. Like there's always hope that something good could happen from your district or come from your district. I mean, it's a small hope and it's a manageable hope because mm-hmm. it's not really hope uh, it's the illusion of hope, and once once hope becomes an actual tangible thing in Catching Fire, that's when it becomes dangerous.
1: Well, and and part of that comes from I think another thing. This is something I'm kind of projecting onto Hunger Games and, and some of the the, uh, the motivations behind the games themselves is you know that team spirit kind of thing. Where so the districts are not aligned or aligning with each other, they're cheering against the people you know from other districts they're hoping for the other people from the other districts to die and in in the games because they want their hometown heroes to come home or at least one of them anyway to come home and so you have kind of a setting off the districts against each other uh but with katniss you have you know a situation where um like you said they even talk about that that hope of um uh when what is the line that he gives I can't remember now. Yeah. He's uh, talking about it's... fear. Fear is not going to work as long as they have hope. Yeah. And and seeing her, you know, is giving them hope and that kind of thing. So, and I think hope, that's a big theme in dystopian fiction. You mm-hmm. have to have that theme. Otherwise, well, you end up with a book like 1984 or something where you're just not going to, nothing's going to go well. <sighs> you know, <laughs> nothing's going to go. Right. And a lot of times hope is quashed by, you know, the government the total totalitarian government but
0: well i mean and it's not too different different or not so much different than the present i mean i mean i think there's something in us that knows with the way that humans are whether you believe that you know we're created in the image of god or you don't you can look around at the world you can watch the news for 10 minutes and realize that things look bleak they often look bleak there's more stories on the news of bad for the you know 10 stories of bad for the one story of good. And so when you add technology, you add more power, you add more greed, you add, you know, more bleak outlooks. uh, You're going to, you have these projections of dystopian stories, uh, but all the stories that we tell, they almost always center around hope or the hope of hope. Because even in some dystor you know, the dystopian stories, we don't actually have the hero win. We just have the hope that there's something, better in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but, and that, and the best thing about that is it's, it tells us a lot about the culture now because it's not different than what we want now. You know, we look at the news and we see bad things happening, but we still want to believe that there is some hope, that there is something good in the world. And like I said, this, this uh, goes beyond, all, you know, all religions or creeds, you know, everyone wants to believe there's good in people. They always don't see it, but they want it. They want that hope. Um, and I think dystopian, stories dystopian fiction really just it hits people you know right in the heart
1: yeah i actually wrote down one of the things about why are they why is it popular is the note i wrote was closer to us and you know you're looking at dystopian fiction science fiction is meant to be metaphor in a lot of ways mm-hmm. uh for the human condition now we look we're looking at the future so we can see you know things about ourselves right now and i think dystopian fiction I, is an easier metaphor for people to latch on you know maybe watching two thousand and one you 're not really going to catch you know, the the, yeah. the average Joe is not going to want to take the time to actually try and figure out what in the world is this movie actually saying about <laughs> humanity uh, but with with something like hunger games is a lot easier to see um, that mother I was telling you about I was talking with her about the book and just saying well what so what is it before I read it? What is it that you like about this? she said, well I've had some really good conversations with my son about um, because of the book about media and about, you know, um, all these you know different things. And I was watching, you know, the movie last night and I'm seeing Jennifer Lawrence being put through all these, you know, beauty you beauticians and all these gowns and makeup and everything like that. And I'm thinking about the real world stuff going on with Jennifer Lawrence where people are you know saying, wow, she's she's big. You know, she's kind of big. She's kind of, you know, she's. She's got some meat on her, you know, and she's, we need to airbrush her, you know, so she can be on the, ca- the the cover of a magazine and, and all these kind of things. And I'm thinking, why? I mean, this is a beautiful woman that people are not recognizing that, you know, just natural beauty that comes from just being a human, a human in a lot of ways. And uh, it's just really interesting to see that reflection of our culture of beauty, being reflected in the culture of beauty from Hunger Games.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, basically, these dystopian stories have the authors have the ability to hold up a mirror to our current society and point out things that may seem small or insignificant. But, you know, if those little small things continue, uh, they could look really scary in 10 or 20 or 50 years down the road, you know?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah definitely. Um,
1: well, I, there are a couple of things – a couple of other themes that I kind of wrote down. One was just that idea of the totalitarian government and loss of freedom, loss of family and loss of religion, uh, destruction of imagination and emotion. These are all things that you see a lot in probably some of these examples we're going to bring up in just a moment here. Um, yeah, let's see. Oh, social structure is another big thing. We already talked yeah, about that a little bit. I had,
0: I had social inequality and justice. yeah. Kind of stuff
1: like that. And you know, again, Hunger Games is a great example of that social structure where you have the workers and you have the the people in the city who are just, you know, there to be hedonists. Um I love this was in the book and in the movie, and I was hoping it'd be in the movie. There's so much food. And um Katniss and and PETA, they're they're standing there and PETA's like, I can't taste everything. I want to taste everything, but there's just too much to taste. And someone hands him a little cup and says, "Well, you know, drink this." And he's, well, "What's that going to help?" He's, "Well, this will help you to throw up the food you just ate, so you can taste everything." You know, and he's just thinking to himself, "They are eating food and throwing it up so they can eat more, while we, we hardly have anything." You know, wow. and well, and think about it though. Think about the inequalities that we have in our world. And how much waste we have, you know, Steve, you mentioned, you know, Utopia doesn't have waste, uh, but yeah. think about all the waste that we have throwing away actual food that is still edible. Yep. Um, now part of that comes from just being a, you know, in some ways being a parent where your <laughs> your kid just pours the milk on the cereal and doesn't eat the cereal. But, um, <laughs> I got over it this morning and we, we took care of the thing. We, we talked, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's a, that's there.
0: That's so why we need replicators.
1: Exactly. It, th-
0: this is how Star Trek does it. Replicators fix everything.
1: It, yeah. I, that's uh, Replicating technology is a technology that I don't think Star Trek takes as far as it would actually go if it existed in the real world. Mm-hmm. Uh, they take it as far as they need it for the story to take them. Yeah. You know, oh, we can fix our ship because of replicator. You know, But there's a <laughs> lot of things that would be happening. And holographic technology too. Mm-hmm. You put those two things together, nobody's going to do a thing ever again. Yeah. So, uh, okay, let's talk about some examples of dystopian fiction then, and maybe some of your favorites or least favorites, but strong examples that, that stand out to you. And let's start with uh, Steve. Give us one or two. No, just give us one. And we'll go around in the circle <laughs> for a little while.
2: Well, um,. Logan's uh, Logan's Run used to be a, a big favorite. Even when we were kids, we would see the TV version. So it had certain scenes edited, um, which if you're going to show it to kids, make sure it has those edited scenes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but uh, it just – it it sort of expanded my brain a little bit to sort of understand more about society and how society works – in a wrong way in the in the film, but sort of to put it back on our society and to examine that in a way that the movie puts it sort of in stark relief.
1: Yeah. And this is another one of those where it seems like a utopia at first. Yeah. It definitely seems like a utopia to the characters until they find out what it's really behind it. Um, but they have a happy ending in that one. Kind of. <laughs>
2: <laughs> kind of.
1: So. And, and, well, because they went on to do a TV series. That's right. Which I bought for like $10 at Walmart. I was like, this is huge. This is a huge find. I bought it at the beginning of the summer. And it's the entire series, $10 at Walmart from 1978. But it only existed because of Star Wars. Star Wars came along and everyone's saying, what do we have yeah. What do we have that we could use? What Logan's Run. That'd make a great TV show. They can keep yeah. on running. So, <laughs> uh, Fizz, how about you? You got one?
0: Um. Yeah. I'm I not going to dive too far back into the past for this one. Okay. It's one of my personal favorite movies that I, for a long time, did not think was dystopian until I really started thinking about what dystopian was, and that's Serenity. Interesting, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Not only is it one of my favorite movies because you know, of Firefly, Joss Whedon, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think that most of the times when we get dystopian sci-fi or what you know, dystopian fantasy, however you want to uh, categorize it, it's in these unrealistic worlds. These worlds that you never know how they got there. They don't really work, even in like a yeah. metaphor type way. <laughs> But I feel like, and like I said, I if people want to, you know, comment and tell me how I'm way wrong about this, it could just be my fanboy. So uh, I felt like this this imagined universe that Joss Whedon created for Serenity, uh, of you know China and America eventually taking over and people kind of speaking Chinese and um, uh, American, I guess English. They yeah, yeah. <laughs> speak American. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and so and then they deal directly with the fact that it is a dystopian society because the alliance, this perfect utopian, doing the best for everybody, terraforming planets. And I guess if you haven't seen Serenity by now, can I spoil Serenity? I mean, uh, do you okay, want to spo- is the question. I won't, I won't spoil Serenity. It, well, you should have seen it by now. Just people. You should have seen it by now. Um, but watch Firefly
1: first, which you Firefly also should first. have seen by now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, don't do what I did. Don't have someone be like, Serenity's great, and watch it, and not have seen Firefly. Really? (laughs) Oh. It did. I'm sorry, man. Basically, every episode was a a sad memorial.
1: I'm sorry. Anyway.
0: um, So, you know, at the end of Serenity, (laughs) somewhere in the movie, they find that, obviously, this utopian society is up to no good. And they put all their effort, all their eggs in one basket, to try to show people that the the pivotal thing that this – this society is based on is a lie, and I think it's amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah. The other interesting thing about about that is, you know, there's three ba- three basic characters in a as a protagonist in a dystopia uh, dystopian fiction, and that is one is someone from underneath, someone from the bottom end of of the social structure, or someone from the top end of the social structure, you know, digging deep and finding out about what's going on. Or someone from the outside coming in and changing everything, and with uh, with Serenity, you actually on the same ship you have people from the bottom, and you have uh, you know Simon and, and River, is that their names? Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, who are basically they're learning about things from the top. You know, they're they're coming in from the Utopia, and and, and learning about the dystopia beneath. So, yeah, I like that. I would have never thought of that. But here is one that I would have never thought of either until I was really thinking hard about it today. The Wizard of Oz is dystopian. Yeah. Because Definitely. you have the head of government is, you know, the man behind the curtain. And then you also have, you know, the witches ruling things. And you have Glenda the Good Witch who, you know, yeah. I'm ignoring Wicked. I don't care. Okay? <laughs> wicked me wicked is nothing to me. Wow. It, it is I I'm not even gonna go there. Um, partially because of some of my own work, I can't I can't read that yet because I want to make sure nobody can say,
0: you stole that from wicked. It doesn't Um, matter. They're going to do it anyway.
1: They already have done it, but, um, but it's, I think still my, my book is just embrace
0: it. Look, there's nothing new under the sun. Just embrace it and be like, look, this is, this is original as original as I can make it. Yeah.
1: So, uh, but anyway, the witches, they're in charge on the outside. You have this straw man in charge on the inside and Everyone thinks it's great. I, I, one thing that they don't really do in the movie is really kind of explore how bad things would be, you know, once you realize, wait a minute, he was lying us to the whole time? I don't... Okay, but... And I haven't seen Oz the Great and Powerful either, so I don't know if they're <laughs> going to do anything with that. But I have well, to wait until I write the, the final volume of Oz Wonderland. So. Well,
0: it's interesting yeah. that you, you point out Wizard of Oz because you say it or you compare it to or classify it as a dystopian um piece of well, a dystopian story yeah but it's actually like you know it's a allegory for the populist movement uh of the at the turn of the century well not this past turn of the century but you know yeah, the yeah. 1890s 1900s uh so it's actually basically people looking at what they had i mean it's directly it's not even a guess I mean it's basically looking at history and saying this is actually what's going on and people pointing it out, put it – holding up a mirror to society and making it clever and a little bit hidden. But it's really there.
1: Yeah, and I do find it interesting. The only mention of any kind of church within The Wizard of Oz is a glass church that gets – someone falls on it and breaks it. <laughs> or Not glasses. Uh, China. Ceramic kind of thing. But, um yeah. Okay. So, uh, Steve, we'll we'll do another round or two here, but uh, I, I have a number of things here that written down. I'm gonna have, gonna have to cherry pick the best ones. Steve, what's another uh, dystopian fiction that you would like to?
2: Well, I'll bring go up? real esoteric. There's a um, a Christian band called uh, Under Midnight put out two albums back in the early '90s, and they have um, <clears throat> dystopian themes in both of the uh, the albums, their uh, concept albums. And um, on the second album, it's there's actually a song called Dystopia um, <laughs> to to start the to start the thing to sort of you know cast you into this thing. It, it's Dystopia, and the second song is called Lie to Me, and the, the lyrics are Lie to me, Lie to me, I like it. Lie to me, Lie to me, I need it. And you know you're you're singing along with the song, and but at some point you realize this is sick and twisted. Because, you know, they it's it's not that these people just enjoy it. I mean, even the people at the top, they need it to survive. If if they're taken out of that system, they die. They have no coping skills. Yeah. You know, so that's why it takes that that person from the underneath to come and do that. You know, and uh, in, in that particular story, um, there's a a, a created. Maybe a robot. It doesn't really, you know, state it clearly, but it's it's an android type thing, and he he feels that there's this sense of something that was not created uh, when he was created, it, but it's it's missing inside of him, and uh, it's it's a void. The name of the album is Void, and he he is searching for whatever it is that that needs to fill this void, and uh, you know he. Uh, it's it's almost like it it consumes him from the inside um and it's it's just a very interesting uh you know different take on on the whole dystopia thing because it's it's audio it's all presented in uh it's you know it's it's a, a techno metal it's it's industrial metal um but they use a lot of clips of uh old tv shows and old radio i mean uh, old uh, movies and things like that and um, you know you hear Charlton Heston in there, and you hear uh, James Dean and things like that, and it, ha- it has this real old feel to it, almost like this you know late fifties, early sixties feel to the 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 whole the the world that they're creating because of the clips that they're using. Um, but the music is you know it, it's very futuristic if if you know what you know industrial metal sounds like it's it's very uh it's driving it's fast it, it a lot of sometimes it just sounds like machinery um you know and that's that's part of the the lure of it that it's it it doesn't sound fully like humans are playing this it sounds more as if you know you could program a machine to and some people do um but uh it you know, I, I enjoy that type of music, and I, I enjoy those types of stories. So, you know, putting them together, you know, it just makes it one of my my favorite albums. I still listen to it today, and it's twenty it's almost. I guess it's twenty years old. Yeah, mm. but uh, yeah, I don't know if either of you heard it.
1: No, I've I've not. But you know, you made me think of another one. That's a musical one. Are you guys <laughs> familiar with uh, Jeanneau Monet? Janelle Monet. I said it as one you, word. It's actually can two. It? <laughs> can you spell Monnet. it? Janelle. Spell it. I think I do. Well, she did a concept album. Actually, there's like three albums. There's an EP, and then uh, an album that was released, just in general release, and then a, a, th- a third album. But it's four suites, and it's uh, what do they call it? I think she calls it like the Arc Android th- series, or, or something like that. Um, but it's a it's it's really it's hip hop and it's really well done music. I, I'm trying to think of who helped produce it. It was, um, Oh, from outcast, um, big boy. I think he, okay. He helped produce it. And there's a couple other people, but, um, I think CeeLo green was involved in it too, but, but it's a sci-fi story about an Android on the run for falling in love. (laughs) And, (laughs) and it's, it's totally what we're talking about here. You know, just that, you know, and there's a lot of people on the run in dystopian fiction. Yeah, a lot of I'll, running. I'll, I'll throw that out, too.
0: Lots of running. running Almost man. Doctor Who levels of running.
1: Almost, yeah. Yeah, yeah. only yeah. only not as exciting. You know, it's more scary. Because if they catch you, they're going to put you in the gladiatorial pit. <laughs> uh, Fizz, you got another one for us?
0: Uh, that's the problem. I think, like you, I have a, an, a huge list. Um, so... I'm going to stick to the 2000s okay. and pick one Pick one from 2006. I had actually um, just gotten out of – well, I've been out of college for about a year or two and joined the real world. And the real world was hard, and I didn't like it. And then I saw this movie called Idiocracy, <laughs> and it made me realize everything that I hated about the real world. Um, and it's it's got a cult following, so I'm not sure if anyone actually is – um, Any either of you guys have actually seen it?
1: I've not you know? seen. it. I've heard yeah. of it because that's uh, is that Mike Judge?
0: Yeah, Mike Judge, yeah. Uh, Luke Wilson. Uh, the, you know these two these two people like uh are I can't remember if they're volunteered or they volunteer to be ba- basically cryogenically frozen for a year, and it ends up being five hundred years. <laughs> and in in the future, uh, there, everyone's extremely stupid and advertising and commercialism and cultural anti-intellectualism have run rampant and, you know, <laughs> people don't drink water anymore because they assume it's poison. They only drink like soft drinks, you know, and they, 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 they water their plants with, uh, soft drinks because the soft drink, Owns like everything, you know. It's basically like a pseudo Starbucks Coca Cola kind of metaphor. <laughs> and so, since it owns everything and is the most powerful thing ever, they they're like, "Don't use water, you know. Put some soft drink on it." And so, all their plants are dying. <laughs> and, I did that know, experiment
1: it, in high school, actually.
0: I, with the, with the trifold board.
1: Yeah, we all, yeah, but it was it was giving plants pop and <laughs> giving plants water. And orange juice and which one is gonna make the plant grow better, you know. Yeah. But I yeah, I I had the plant. trifold
0: board, you got it. Yeah. I think I put a plant in a closet with like a sixty watt bulb and then I put one outside. And I was nice. like <laughs> I was like, the one outside grows much better than the one in the closet with the sixty watt bulb. So weird. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like they need sunlight to live. Completely unexpected. Yeah. I think that was the ultimate lazy science project. <laughs> you could tell I wasn't I wasn't gonna be the next Bill Nye or Neil deGrasse Tyson at that point. So, but I I just really I really like the movie because, like I said, it 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 is to me the quintessential um, putting a mirror up to society, and specifically, it was putting a mirror up to like everything wrong with American culture, Um, the need for more uh, overindulgence, Mm -hmm. you know, believing everything you see on TV. You know, succumbing to commercialism, things like that. And then it had a lot of very interesting themes just to make you think about anti intellectualism and what anti intellectualism is. Because often, I think in today's society, anti intellectualism is, a, you know, hand in hand with what most people would refer to as religion or spirituality. So um, just having to be able to wrestle through those themes, I thought it was great. And you don't get to see many dystopian comedies. I
1: think <laughs> no. so. There is well, sleeper, unless, unless the Woody yeah, Allen unless, movie.
0: Oh well, yeah. <laughs> well like I can say most of them, they're rare and or they're unintentional, like <laughs> Death Race two thousand, Death Race two thousand, unintentionally funny. Oh, I don't yeah. know if it's
1: unintentional. <laughs> I think that they knew what they were doing. Hand grenade. <laughs> <laughs> I think they knew exactly. Unless you're talking about, I didn't see the remake.
0: Oh yeah, the remake is not funny. It's not. It's not funny and intentional or unintentionally. Okay. It's just nothing. Don't, don't watch it. <laughs> it's just nothing. It, it is, Let's pretend it didn't happen.
1: Okay. even though, easy to do because we haven't seen it. There you go. Yeah. So I, I'm going to quickly go throw this one out here. I'm going into the future. You went into the past, just in recent past. I'm going into That's the good. future with this one. Uh, it's not away. out yet, although it's been out for 20 years or 30 years. Exactly. Uh, X-Men, Days of Future Past. That is, yeah. You got that classic dystopian future. They they revisited it in multiple universes in you know since then. But it's that whole idea of you know mutants are these persecuted and there's war and there's you know all these terrible things happening. And I'm I'm telling you that movie looks fantastic. It does I, I really am really excited about that yeah, movie?
2: It looks awesome.
0: So well, I mean, and not just that one, but later this year you'll get another one that's. Been around, but getting remade in RoboCop. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's actually one that was on my list here. Um, so, and I'm kind of excited.
1: Actually, RoboCop. I want to do an episode that's just about the franchise of RoboCop.
2: That'd be interesting
1: because there's there's things to talk about in, in the original movie, but I want to see the new one too, mm-hmm. um, just to see how it holds up. I oh, yeah. actually think from the trailer, I'm not pessimistic about this movie. Looks uh,
2: no,
0: good. Yeah, I mean, it looks like the the trailer honestly makes me think that it could go either way, but the fact that it's just got enough enough star power that I don't I don't think it can be. I mean, Gary Oldman, Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton, yeah. You know, it's not like they just have a bunch of no names. It's not like the latest movie that just came out. Yeah, you know, I, I just uh, I feel like Gary Oldman, him alone would be enough for me to give this movie credibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, so,
1: But the trailer even, you don't see this in a trailer very often. It feels like the trailer is even kind of showing you some of the the meteor themes that they might want to try to explore. Now, whether they actually do it or not, or do it well is another story, but, but the trailer actually showing you, hey, here's some of the themes we're playing with, that's surprising to me. It's not just, hey, look at the cool explosions and the cool tech.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean i'm signed up so
1: that's next month isn't it that's february (laughs) it is yeah
0: it's a valentine's day is it really (laughs) well it's not i think it's not on valentine's day but it's valentine's day weekend all right take your honey to see it that's right well
1: it's like when they threw daredevil on valentine's day
0: (laughs) it'd be like it'd be like when i took my wife to see the wolfman on valentine's day that one time it was so romantic
1: (laughs) my wife hates going to movies So, and we have five kids, so getting babysitters anyway, but Mm. yeah.
0: My wife loves going to movies, so it works out very well for our situation.
1: Yeah. Well, and if she's willing to go with you to Wolfman for Valentine's day. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. You've got, you've got someone to, you've got to keep her.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. To have it to hold. I mean, we're going on, we're eight and a half years now. So I know it's not like, not, you know, the, the pinnacle we're not beating everyone, but she's put up with me this long. And our biggest problem when we do things like this is that she would she wants to go and she can never find another girl that wants to go with her. So, you know, we'll go see X-Men and almost none of her female friends will want to go see it. But she'll want to be maybe not first in line, but maybe sixth or seventh in line. Gotcha. You know, (laughs) so I I want to stress because I know she'll probably listen to this later. How much I am blessed by her and her ability to be really into the things I'm into. I love you, baby. <laughs> That's cool.
1: I'll say the opposite, though. Not that I don't love my wife, but... Uh, or that I'm not exactly blessed. exactly are you sick? No, the, the opposite is, I'm kind of glad that my wife is not into the stuff I'm into, because it keeps me a little more grounded. She's able to kind of pull me back from the edge yeah. every once in a while here. But,
0: yeah, yeah, it'd
2: be a lot weirder if my wife <laughs> encouraged
0: it. So. I, think, I think the... You know, opposites attract, and mm-hmm. it always looks a little different because I'm exceptionally extroverted. She's insanely introverted, so uh, she usually pulls me back to the house occasionally.
1: Well, and, and that's, it
0: works amazing.
1: That's a good marriage, though, is where you're 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 pushing each other in in places to to grow and and be better. You know, that's a good marriage. So, and the and the topic of this podcast just changed. Yes, it did. <laughs> we are now officially giving marriage advice.
0: We're like the That's Christian so. Dr. Phil. There you we are. We are. <laughs> you uh, know, except with good advice. You know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, talking about RoboCop. And we're not. So, a and actually, RoboCop had some. You know, there's some elements of the, the marriage stuff going on in, in that movie. There today. is. So we're not too far off topic, but we are off topic. So. <laughs> um, okay, so we haven't talked about. Well, we've mentioned Brave New World, 1984, Fahrenheit 451. I don't think we've talked about Ray Bradbury um a lot of those though the main character doesn't end up well uh brazil that's another
0: favorite of mine um, aren't we I, contractually mandated to mention blade runner uh possibly yeah
2: i don't know it it really doesn't get into the i mean the whole aspect i mean you do see the class struggle there but you know deckard is not really an upper echelon person even the the people we see you get the sense that there's something much higher that, you know, is it threatening? Is it not threatening? That's it, you don't you don't really get to see that in, uh, the, in, in the movie.
1: Deckard is between though; he's in between. You've got the lower class, which yeah. are the replicants, uh, yeah. really, and then you have the upper class, which is uh, I can't remember his name, but the the creator at the top of the tower, um, who gets his head crushed or whatever. Right. To IMDb, but, yeah, <laughs> but you've got you've got him in between he's digging this up and he's finding out the, you know, seeing what's in the cracks and, um, yeah, I, I, uh, you're right. We should, we should have mentioned and we should mention blade runner. Uh, I haven't read the book. I understand the book gets more into the, the, uh, the big dichotomy between classes and stuff though. So
2: I think an interesting take on it was, um, Uh, (laughs) the movie I'm completely forgetting the name of, um,
0: uh, Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mars.
2: Oh, Total uh, Recall. Total Recall, Recall, yeah. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, where, you know, you, you get to the end of it and then you have the sense that, you know, wait a minute, you know, is this, is this all... Is this all, you know, a, a government or a big business trick? You know, is it all just a an illusion or or what? You know, you sort of have to watch it two times in a row to to really start to understand it.
0: Um, it was a *Gattaca*, *Clockwork Orange*, yeah, uh, *Minority Report*, maybe *Minority
1: Report*. Mm-hmm. I don't know.
0: I guess so. Is it is it more is it two action? Uh, Sci-fi. I mean, cause I don't it's, it,
1: know. Minority Report is, feels glossy, but no, there's all that stuff in the second act with the eyeballs and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I could see that going that way. The um, Island. Yeah,
0: I guess. Well, I don't know. Escape from New York. That's where it's at.
2: That's good. How
0: about? Yeah. Uh,
1: I, I'm going to throw this out there, Steve. You just might want to throw it right back. But, <laughs> um,
0: well, Planet of the Apes. No, I have that down.
1: You do?
2: It's an interesting – yeah, it's an interesting take on it, yeah. Yeah,
0: But I think when you do that, do you also get to include like uh, World War Z?
1: No, I don't think you include World War Z.
0: Because how is it different? Planet of the Apes? Or Oblivion? I mean – Well, Oblivion,
1: there's not enough people to have a real society. (laughs) So,
0: we'll have, a, have an underground society.
1: Oh, I don't want to talk about oblivion.
0: Well, it, well <laughs> okay, okay. I, I, n- not for its merits of being a good or bad film, but oh. this, this is back to defining dystopian. I mean, like, what exactly fits into it? I mean, because if Planet of the Apes is about a society that's been overrun and taken over by apes, I mean, what happens when a society is underground because it's been forced underground? By a virus or another natural disaster, I think like it, Mad Max.
1: I think then you're looking at though the the power struggle, and you're looking at you know the the um just the the, the lifestyle of the people in power and the people who are not in power, uh, like World War Z. Now I haven't seen the movie, but I've I've read the book. Um, okay,
0: well then I'm yeah I'm not talking about the book. So, the book, the, you know, seeing as how they're nothing alike, okay. the actual movie. Um, since it is nothing like the book, actually shows the world kind of by the end of the movie what it would look like if you know society was more or less destroyed. okay, and you know,
1: I think that the sequel would be the dystopian story then
0: because okay. it, it,
1: it sounds to me like the movie is kind of showing you how they got there.
0: So the origin story cannot be the dystopian future
1: i I don't think so because it's not the future, it's the present but it's not even well may not be the present for us but it's the i'm not going to get into that because that doesn't make any sense
0: well oh, I mean, no it does i mean i think it does make sense and i'm not i'm not even trying to like trap you i mean i don't have an answer to it i mean i'm just i'm just curious what you think because what if they made a uh, hunger games prequel trilogy because one of the questions i have bringing it full circle back to the hunger games is how does it even get like this in the first place This yeah. seems like a, a completely unsustainable <laughs> model like how did this happen? I mean, you have a line or two, and once again, didn't read the books, so only going based on what I saw in the movies. It's like, oh well, we taught them that we're in charge. Okay, <laughs> like that. That whole "how did you get there" was very just glossed over. And
1: that happens a lot, though, in those stories. I mean, Nineteen Eighty-Four, for example, they don't even know how they got there because yeah. their history has been rewritten so many times. Um so the matrix. Yeah. Well, here's the thing with 1984 though. That doesn't work. There's no way that society could sustain itself because of all of the the money that's going to be spent in you know creating all the things so you can watch every single person and listen for, to every single person. You're going to have to hire someone for every other... I mean, basically it's a one-to-one ratio of employees (laughs) for the government and people that they're spying on. Um, It's just not sustainable, but it does make for a good story.
0: Are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure that's how things are now, if you read the news.
1: Is it a one-to-one ratio? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, it doesn't have to be. Well, we're talking about
1: 1984. (laughs) What we're talking about technology that, you know, he was guessing about from, whatever, 19... Whenever he wrote that... um hey steve i did have an idea what's that i think our next old time radio episode needs to be um brave new world cbs radio workshop did an uh, adaptation of brave new world they actually brought in all this huxley to introduce it
2: are you serious
1: yeah yeah i think that should be our next uh old time radio episode very cool we'll after have to the check if it's after the crossover
2: we'll have to check if it's in public domain
1: we will all right uh well okay back to hunger games then Because Hunger Games is popular, and I'm always suspicious about things that are popular. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But uh, do you think Hunger Games – you're looking at the movie, and I think it's valid because I think the movie is actually better than the books. Do you think that that deserves a spot with Blade Runner? Or do you dream of Electronic Sheep, 1984, Brave New World, Fahrenheit 451, Logan's Run, um, Solient Green? We didn't even talk about Solient Green. Uh, but all no. these kind of movies and books, do you think that it deserves a spot up there as a classic of dystopic fiction, or dystopian fiction? I keep wanting to say dystop- dystopic, like yeah, dystopic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> or dystopic today. Yeah.
1: Dystopic um, fiction?
2: I think it has to get a, a few more miles on it before we can start calling it a classic.
1: Well, let's not say let's not say we're giving it the label classic. Does it deserve to be talked about in the same breath as some of these other show, other books and stuff, though?
2: Oh well, of course, yeah. I mean, anything in this genre. I mean, I, I mentioned an obscure Christian heavy metal project from 20 <laughs> years ago. If,
1: you mentioned I, it, but does that mean it deserves to be mentioned in a conversation <laughs> about 1980? If you're talking to someone about 1984. You know, a classic of literature that high school kids across the world have to read, even if they don't want to. Uh, are you going to bring up that band when you're talking oh, yeah. with someone about 1980s?
2: I'm, I'm pulling out the cassette tape and, and p- putting it into my ghetto blaster and playing yeah. it for them.
0: There's, and they're all so confused about whatever you're doing. Yeah, they'll just be. <laughs> <laughs> what is this magic? <laughs> How do you do that? Oh, but- I. D- Oh, can Steve? I'm sorry.
2: If it gets it that deep in, yes, because music would be another way for them to start to understand the themes and the the broad, you know, the broad brush strokes of that type of fiction. So if they listen to this album, you know, forty forty five minutes later they can say to themselves oh okay now you sort of understand because it's you know it has that thing and all this stuff and i understand okay and you know it, it just it gives them another touch touch point to 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 understand it and if i if you can get that far into it i mean if when i wanted my son to start reading dystopian fiction i wanted him to go back and read utopian fiction first you know it, it didn't work out that way but you know i wanted him to understand that where it came from and then you know let's 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 uh you know listen to the the radio version of 1984 because it really takes away a lot of the uncomfortable visual elements of the movie um and you you can sort of understand that whole thing coming forward and all of a sudden you know you can put uh you know all the other different dystopian things in there and then pull pull him into okay and now here's another one and now you can compare and contrast and now you can sort of uh, you know understand it in a in a different context and it's not here's your very first introduction to utopian slash dystopian fiction Hunger Games you know I don't think it's it's that groundbreaking that that it works best that way.
1: What about you Fizz? Do you think it Hunger Games is a great example of dystopian fiction?
0: Uh I wouldn't say a great example. I think most films fall into a number of categories. And while The Hunger Games, if you were compiling a list of dystopian movies, I think Hunger Games deserves to be on the list. But when you're talking about examples of dystopian fiction, um, I don't think it's the best example. I think The Hunger Games ultimately, for me, falls more into an action future... Kind of, I, like I said, it makes me feel like if, I feel like Star Wars uh, when I when I watch it a lot of time. Not not as good as Star Wars and, and the
1: original Star Although Wars the movies. original trilogy feels pretty dystopian to me.
0: Well, but that's what I'm saying. I, I think, yeah. but but why didn't we mention Star Wars? Is Star Wars one of the most insanely popular movie series that's ever been made? And yet we did not mention it when we went to our go tos for dystopian because ultimately I think there is some dystopian uh themes there's uh definitely some dystopian you know conclusions that you can draw based on the way the world's set up but it's more of an action sci-fi kind of thing and i feel like ultimately the hunger games trilogy is more of an like like i said action adventure kind of you know good versus evil kind of thing not really dystopian in full nature. I mean, like, I think more dystopian, if you want to see a movie that was dystopian that came out last year, I would look to Elysium before I'd look to The Hunger Games.
1: Um, but I wouldn't look at Elysium at all.
0: But <laughs> you can, uh, once again, the merits of yeah. quality of film aside, What when, when you look at a, a theme that, when I think of uh, dystopian movies that I saw or even came out last year, I would say Elysium was probably the best example of a dystopian movie that I saw last year. Um, and the the hunger games, like I said, would make a list. Um, I think f- one of the, one of the key words could be dystopian if the hunger games had a post or a blog, you know, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be ultimately defined. And it, like Steve said, it doesn't really advance or redefine the genre. Um, yeah. And as
1: Supreme dictator, Of this dystopic society, dystopian society, dystopic. Uh, (laughs) I I say you're both wrong. (laughs) Yes. It's my, in my vocabulary. I can't vocabularize very well, (laughs) but wait, I'm writing my own language. This is 1984. We're going to do our new speak here, but um, I I think it is a good example. And I think it actually, Steve works as a first example. I was thinking of some of the young adult. They didn't call that necessarily when I was reading it as a kid, uh, some of the stuff by John Christopher, um, the tripod trilogy and stuff like that. Uh mm. those were my my gateway entry points to this kind of thing uh before I got into high school and started reading Brave New World in nineteen eighty four and uh, some of these other books that were, you know, because I went to a Christian high school, uh they didn't force me to read them, so I enjoyed them. <laughs> <laughs> nice. uh, of course I was reading them on my own, you know, but Uh, Anyway, I do think it's a good example, but um, I I think you are right, though, too, when you say it doesn't bring anything new to it. Um, Now, I say that not knowing what happens in the third part. That's true. But, um, you know, I
0: think we're going to see how much how how many legs this kind of genre has, because next year, I mean, I think we're going to see something very similar. Um, not maybe necessarily with the exact same plot, but a dystopian future in the young adult kind of category when, when Divergent comes out. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see how that does. Yeah.
1: And the other thing, though, is with with with, with Hunger Games, um, I don't feel like there's really anything new in there. Uh, we've seen all of that before on Star Trek, actually. You know, <laughs> just kind of jumble up a couple of Star Trek episodes. but. Um, and with Divergent, that looks really interesting. But then I was thinking about it; that just feels like uh, dystopian society with uh, the Harry Potter Sorting Hat. <laughs> you know, telling you what what city you're, <laughs> what you know. Oh, you go to this place, and you go to this place because you have courage and you have whatever. But
0: I mean, have we basically come uh, full circle again and realized that almost any movie we name we can fit into by some definition, however small, dystopian? I mean, almost, like Harry Potter now is now dystopian. <laughs> you
1: know? Oh no, I'm not saying Harry Potter is dystopian, but that's because pretend, I haven't. I don't you know did. enough about it. To, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read it, and I've only watched the first two movies. So, um,
2: yeah the uh, the the island of Sodor is dystopian.
1: You know, Sir Topham Hatt, He <laughs> he, he
2: rules with an fits
1: the example. Yes. He is right up there with classic dystopian rulers. Yeah. So I do think it's time for us to uh, to wrap this conversation up. So um, Fizz, would you please tell our listeners where they can find real world theology and you if they want to listen to more of what you have to say?
0: Well, we try to keep it simple. Uh, simple. Simple. Uh, if you want to follow or check out real world theology, R-E-E-L, um, then go to RealworldTheology.com. realworldtheology.com. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes, the podcast and stuff like that. Uh, the whole concept of the show, uh, if you don't know, uh, if you haven't already been there, uh, it's real world theology exists to examine the narratives that are shaping our culture. You know, um, everyone I have on the show, at least to this point, have been Christians. Uh, we do have that mindset when we look at it. And we all believe that entertainment is not mindless. It's not something that, for the most part, you should just go and turn your brain off. Because, you know, what was it, in 2012 or 11, like the movie industry made like $100 billion or something ridiculous like that. Uh-huh. Um, so people are going in dro... You know, they they won't step into a church. They won't step into most spiritual conversations. But they'll go and they'll learn what right and wrong is from a movie. So... I think if you don't, if you let that just slide by you, and you don't really engage that or engage the themes that they're really pushing, then you're going to miss a golden opportunity to have some really great conversations with not only people of faith, but people who would identify themselves as faithless. So uh, find the find the podcast. We like I said, we do a lot of new movies. You can follow the the show's Twitter at Real World Theo. You can follow me uh, at Physification. I uh, love doing new movies. I'll do old movies at some point. I have a whole bunch of writers I'm, uh, I'm working with right now so we can start getting some written content on the blog. So just be on the lookout for that. And most importantly, I just want to thank uh, the Strangers and Aliens guys for having me on. So thank yeah. you. Last it was fun. Yeah.
1: Very fun. And I am looking forward to bringing you on again. To talk about ah. movies that no one else wants to talk about,
0: and so. again
2: and again and again because and we will, just don't watch movies.
0: And I will <laughs> gladly do it because I've been fandangoed for Christmas. Sure. So
1: excellent! All right, well, thank you very much, Fizz, Mikey, Mikey Fizz. Still, Whatever, yeah. Hey, you works. Okay, thanks very much, you. <laughs> it's appreciated. And um, any any final words, guys?
0: Soil and as people
1: oh look at that
2: spoiler
1: (laughs) Steve any final words Uh,
2: even if you hear me singing lie to me don't I don't like
1: it well I just want to say thank you for listening and um, everyone godspeed You've been listening to the Strangers and Aliens podcast, hosted by Ben Avery, Steve Macdonald, and Dr. Jace O'Neill. Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. Please join in the conversation by visiting our website, strangersandaliens.com, where you will find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at aliens.com, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangers. Or you can leave us a voicemail on the Strangers and Aliens hotline. Just call one 37 alien and leave your message. And once again, thanks for listening.
0: All right. That's that. Thank you, guys. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, Yeah, at least from my chair. I'm, you know, I'm not speaking for everyone here. (laughs) (laughs) He stunk.
1: You can't speak for everyone here because you're not the supreme ruler. (laughs) I'm I'm not the
0: totalitarian leader. That's right. Yeah. So that, like everyone else in this podcast society, cannot say dystopian no matter how many times we try to say it right. (laughs) 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 Dystopian. Dy- oh, I did it! Dy- dy- <laughs>
1: Dyspeptic. Oh,
0: I, I did want to keep saying dystopian. Dystopian. You know, the, the
1: word I avoided was total, 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 totalitarian, totalitarian, totalitarian. Yeah, just can't say it. Can't spell yeah. it. Can't say it. Thank <laughs> God for spell check. There's just no spell check in my mouth.
0: Yeah. Oh, so, well, my wife <laughs> said there's no filter on mine. So, I'm not sure <laughs> if that's the same thing. That's usually what gets me in trouble.
2: My wife says there's no volume on mine. It's just stuck on high <laughs> and on all the time. And I just keep talking. It's like I never shut up. It's like, why don't you you know, not talk for a little while? And I'm all like, right. what?
1: Not-? Steve, it's time for us to stop talking. <laughs> I'll I'll be that, that filter for you. If you anyway. can be the filter that tells me how to pronounce words, <laughs> we can help each other out that way.
2: At least you didn't pronounce it dystopian. I've heard dystopian. Yeah. And it's like, what's that like? A utopia ruled by dice? Yes. (laughs) Actually,
0: that could be cool. Serious when they do it. (laughs) That could be cool. All
1: right, guys. Well, thanks for uh, doing the call. Um, I'm going to stop recording and then I'm going to hang up. So I'm stopping.